Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, I was joined by Rick from GoFreight, a SaaS company that is revolutionizing the logistics and supply chain industry. GoFreight consolidates all the complexities of running a freight forwarding business into a single platform, and they are doing it with a vision that puts the customer front and center. Rick told me all about it on the show, and we also talked about visibility, creating memorable customer experiences, and why leveling the playing field for small and medium-sized businesses is so important. It was a great episode, especially for all of those smaller businesses listening. There were a lot of great insights. So if you missed the show, you can catch up over on letstalksupplychain.com, on our YouTube channel, or anywhere else that you subscribe to the show. It was episode 350. 51. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. When you're looking for cutting-edge resources on innovation and trends across supply chain, where do you go? What about when you're on a mission to find like-minded professionals and cultivate relationships that go beyond an emoji reaction? And what about when you're trying to generate leads, build campaigns, and get ahead of the game in the unique world of supply chain marketing? Supply Chain has been missing a single collaborative hub that brings people and ideas together in an environment that is safe yet stimulating for everyone until now. Just one platform that's as dynamic and innovative as you are. Welcome to the Secret Society of Supply Chain, a private network for the supply chain community. An industry first brought to you by supply chain media entrepreneur, Sarah Barnes Humphrey. The Secret Society of Supply Chain brings professionals of all backgrounds and experience levels together in the industry's largest dynamic network, focusing on industry learning and career development, as well as networking and community. The Secret Society of Supply Chain hosts all the content, connection, and creativity you need for supply chain success. But which group is for you? Well, head over to letstalksupplychain.com, find the Secret of Society banner, and take the quiz and join our waitlist. There are limited number of spots available, so make sure to get on that waitlist so that you are one of the first into the Secret Society of Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. Before we dive into today's episode, I'm going to ask you a question. In a typical year, how many tons of freight are moved by U.S. railroad railroads? What do you think? Well, let us know your guesses over on social media and keep listening because all will be revealed at the end of the show. So today I'm joined by the 2022 winner of the FreightWaves Freight Tech 100 Award on a mission to simplify freight by rail. This company also won the Logistics Tech Outlook Top 10 Freight Management Solutions Award in 2022 as well. It's a really exciting and disruptive brand 
brand in the industry, but who is it? Well, I'll reveal it all after the poll of the week. So the question that we asked you, what makes an organization a great place to work? 66% of you, and this is out of 336 votes, 66% of you said culture of trust and respect. 28% of you said work-life harmony. 4% of you said supportive policies. And 1% of you said other share opinion below. Leslie says remote work is very, very important to uh, them as far as what makes an organization a great place to work. Well, thank you so much to everybody who weighed in on the question of the week. Remember, we ask you a question over on LinkedIn and on Instagram every single Wednesday morning. So now back to today's episode and which rail logistics provider is joining me today? Well, it's Comtrax. Comtrax is a tech-enabled rail logistics provider with a team of experienced rail professionals, an extensive network of partners and a best-in-class technology platform that simplifies the movement of freight and creates a competitive advantage. As a highly trusted, effective, and data-driven platform, Comtrax is improving how shippers manage their rail fleets and move freight across North America. And it's Martin Liu, CEO at Comtrax, that is joining me for the show. Today, Martin and I will be talking all about Comtrax, what they do, the challenges and opportunities in rail, empowering shippers through choice and connectivity, and why transloading is the future of the industry. So welcome to the show, Martin. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I am so excited to have you here. I don't think we talk about rail anywhere near as much as we should because freight rail accounts for around 40% of long distance ton miles, more than any other mode of transportation. So it's something we need to spend much more time thinking about, right? And U.S. freight movements is projected to rise rapidly. So now really is the time to be having these conversations. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about contracts and how you help organizations to maximize that potential. So let's dive in. I want to start by talking about the opportunities with rail. I mean, rail has a lot of potential. So talk to us about why organizations really need to be thinking more about rail when it comes to their supply chains. Well, I'll start with uh, sort of how I became a founder CEO of Comtrax, which uh, as a shipper, it led me to starting Comtrix, which has actually been the genesis for a lot of why uh, reasons why a lot of many of our shippers have come onto the, uh, to the platform. Um, so when I started Comtrix, I, I was a shipper moving about five to seven million tons of coal per year on the wow. trading in JP Morgan. So um, you know when you're a trader and you're putting together arbitrage opportunities, time is of the essence, and visibility and connectivity is of the essence. Because in order to be able to put these positions on, you have to have a good understanding of pricing. You have to have a good understanding of capacity availability, and you have to have a good understanding of who to speak to in order to be able to execute these transactions. All three of those things were missing when I was when I was on the trading desk at J.P. Morgan. So, you know, as a former shipper, uh, I knew that there had to be an easier way. There, there's no way that somebody can be able to put together a transaction and lay in the rail cars, the transloading, the freight rate, right. all the different components that are necessary if you didn't have a digital platform. Now. This is how people have been operating for almost 200 years. Railroads have been around since, you know, for almost 200 years now. And it has been a heavily uh, relationship-driven business, which that will never change. It's always going to be a relationship-driven business. But it's not about the relationship as much as about how do you get shippers uh, information 
and how do you get them to the right people and to the right facilities faster? And that right. was the whole concept behind Contrast is we wanted to create one digital platform that centralizes all uh, RailServe resources, all the service providers that serve uh, RailServe shippers and non-RailServe shippers who are looking to move freight by rail and, and really sort of be a one-stop shop for all of their needs. And that was really the vision in 2015 when we started Contracts was to create a platform where if you're a shipper, you go to one place and you can take care of all the things you need without having to pick the phone up, without having to email people, without having to, to, to go to a conference or an event and to network. Um, and you can do it all at your fingertips. Well, and I love that. And thank you for telling us that story because a lot of really great organizations, businesses, ideas come out um, from a problem right? A challenge that somebody had in their day-to-day working environment. Um, And then they work to solve that problem. And they know that that's going to be the solution for so many other people. So what are the opportunities with rail? Like, are people really utilizing the opportunity as much as they, you know, could be? I I think there's a lot of opportunities with rail, particularly with shippers that have never, ever moved freight by rail. Now, um, now, just thinking about, so why do people move freight by rail? Let's, let's start with a fundamental question. Um, number one, it's cost savings. So, you know, as a supply chain professional, probably your number one motivator for anything that you're doing is how do you save your organization or company money? Now, when you think about any freight that's moving over 500, 600 miles, um, called long haul freight, uh, rail is by far and away the cheapest 10 per mile. So when you're thinking about just cost savings in general, if rail is not a mix uh, of your supply chain portfolio, um, you probably are leaving some money on the table. Mm. Uh, number two, modal flexibility is extremely important. If COVID taught us anything, it's that modal flexibility is what's going to be there for you if a black swan event, if outlier events happen, and your typical routes or lanes that you move through are not able to be moved through because of some sort of disruption. So right. modal flexibility is extremely important. And rail, I mean, there's only two ways to move uh, freight by land. It's truck and rail. So if you're 100% truck, you you really are beholden to the carriers that are working with you, really beholden to all the factors along those lanes that you're that you're moving your freight along. So if you wanted to diversify, effectively diversify the exposure that you have to a particular mode of transportation, rail is a, is a phenomenal um, sort of opportunity for a shipper. And, and lastly, and, and, and quite frankly, this is, I think, uh, one of the biggest tailwinds that rail has is sustainability. Right. Uh, it takes four trucks uh, for every one carload that moves. So wow. rail is uh, uh, approximately 75% uh, more sort of, um, you know, environmentally friendly. So uh, 75% less of a carbon footprint uh, that you have relative to trucks. So, you know, huh. every organization, if they're not thinking about sustainability today, uh, I assure you within the next three to five years, their organization probably have some sort of pressure from either their vendors, their customers, uh, Wall Street, depending upon what um, what size of their business is or w- what their business exactly um, functions as, uh, sustainability will be a factor. And and that, I think, is the biggest tailwind right now for rail is, is, is really sort of helping the environment. Yeah. And even if they are thinking about sustainability and they have ESG goals, they might not be thinking about how much rail can actually help them towards those goals and meeting those goals. So that's such an amazing point. I think the other part of it, too, is with um, the trucking industry, there is a shortage of drivers and things like that as well that we have to keep in mind. Um, And so I think that is another opportunity when it comes to rail. Now, you mentioned that Comtrex is a digital platform. So what exactly do you do? Like, how do you help your customers? Talk to us about uh, what that looks like. Sure. So the Comtrex 
uh, consists of a few different components. Uh, the the genesis of the platform is really to create a, a marketplace that connects the supply and demand sides of the rail industry. Okay. So the very first few marketplaces we started with were a leasing marketplace. So if you're a shipper and you're looking for rail equipment, uh, historically you would have to uh, find your uh, a lessor. You'd have to either move, you know, find a, a private lessor that you can go to, um, or, pro- or public lessor that you can go to to lease cars. Um, or you would go to Classroom Railroad and, and use their system cars in order to move your freight. Now, Classroom Railroads don't move liquids. So if you're moving liquids, you're really sort of um, your only choice is to go lease cars uh, through your traditional route or sell lease cars if you know somebody to go through. So that was the position I was in when I was a, a shipper. Um, I was thinking to myself, why isn't there a secondary market for rail cars? Okay. Uh, certainly commodities are very cyclical. So you're not on peak all the time. There's on peak and off peak component uh, times within the year. So during those off peak times of the year, uh, the, the the thesis was, why don't folks take those uh, that equipment that's latent and what they're paying storage for, put them into a market and let those those cars run in order to be able to create a, a more efficient sort of supply demand sort of Ooh. balance uh, within the system. So that was the initial idea. So okay. leasing was our very first marketplace. Second marketplace was rail car storage. And the concept of account rail car storage was, you know, in a bull market, leasing's doing great because everyone's moving freight. But in a bear market, everything's contracting. And, and COVID was a great example of that. And rail car storage became uh, very, very invoked and very hard to find. So if you're thinking about anybody moving freight over 600 miles, they're probably moving freight across areas that are very desolate or isolated, where right. you don't know where the nearest short line or rail car storage provider is. And when you're looking at the United States or looking at North America, U.S., Canada, and Mexico, how do you know where to find storage facilities that are in the middle of the country? Middle of Mexico, middle of Canada, you don't know how to find those. So that was the second marketplace we started. And that marketplace really got us into the, into the uh, effectively the rail serve, the physical um, side of the business because rail equipment was more leasing equipment and, and folks putting um, uh, rail cars on our system uh, versus us going out, identifying locations, partnering with short lines, partnering with storage providers, partnering with folks who have land and ability to be able to lease their space out. So those were the two first uh, marketplaces. Then we launched a buy-sell marketplace. At the time, a lot of my clients were uh, coal utilities and they were scrapping cars as coal plants retired. And this is uh-huh. for any in, in, any other commodity. But as facilities retire, the equipment that's associated with those facilities typically will have to go off the balance sheet. So they'll typically divest or liquidate on those. And they were coming to us to help to liquidate those. So we have over 100 scrapping companies on the system. Uh, and then we also started attracting builders and other folks that were looking to sell cars. And wow. then the last marketplace was our transloading marketplace. And this is really where our focus has been for the past three years. And COVID really highlighted the need for transloading. And you know, I, I knew transloading was going to be a significant part of our business, but COVID really sort of accelerated uh, yeah. the, the, significant, the significance of that. So we have the four marketplaces. We have a resources part of our business, which is all the information and data that we collect. Um, the, the, the most important component of, of the the thesis when we started this business was the, on a very macro level, the paradigm shift that was happening demographically. Uh, we knew that by 2020 millennials would be, you know, call it 50 ish percent of the global workforce. And then by 2025, you're getting closer to 75%. So there was this major generational shift that was happening. And that major, major generational shift, once it happens, not only in rail, but in any industry, you're going to have a whole different demographic that comes in and the way they manage their business is going to be definitely different than how the Gen Xers or baby boomers manage their business. Now, one stat was uh, what jumped out at me when I was looking to start this business was baby boomers uh, stay in uh, the position at a, uh, at their workplace eight to nine years on average, Gen Xers six to seven years and uh, millennials two to three years 
Wow. Often cases one to two years. So if, if that's the case, if you take that data uh, on its face, then you probably never see a 50 to 20 year fleet manager sitting at one company ever again. Right. Um, and as you move into technology and as technology becomes a bigger part of just every single industry, if technology is an important component to rail, not just the operational, the safety component, but the uh, commercial interface, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be hard to find talent because yeah. the, the, the folks coming to these seats, they want digital tools that will help them be able to do their jobs. And if that sort of divide that gap between experience uh, and seasoned professionals and those who don't have the experience, as that continues to widen and that, that chasm continues to grow, uh, there had to be a bridge that sort of took those two components or those two those two uh, subsets of, uh, uh, of categories of people and, and, and connected them. Because as you had the seasoned, more professional people leaving the industry, mm-hmm. there had to be a repository or a database that collected all that wisdom and kept yes. it all into one sort of centralized place. And that was, that was the, the, the concept behind contracts. Amazing. It sounds like you've thought of absolutely everything um, that anybody would need when they are thinking about bringing rail into their supply chain, um, you know, uh, portfolio, I guess, if you would call it. I think the other part of it, too, is that you really cover a lot of what is happening in rail, what it takes to... um, bring rail into your supply chain portfolio? Because there's a lot of things that you mentioned there that I've never really thought about. And I'm sure some of the audience members haven't really thought about. Um, But when you have technology that can make it easy for you and uh, help you partner for with the the things and the people that you need to help move your products by rail, um, that's exactly what we need. So talk to me about the types of customers that you work with. Um, Does that like... Do you work with pretty much anyone or does a company have to be moving a certain amount of freight or maybe a certain type of freight? You've mentioned liquids, you've mentioned coal. What does that look like? So when you think about a a two-sided marketplace, in theory, every two-sided marketplace is going to have two customers they serve. You're going to have the supply side of the marketplace and the demand side of the marketplace. So the supply side of the marketplace uh, are the class ones, the short lines, the transloaders, the warehouses, uh, the lessors. I think anybody who services anybody moving freight by rail, the demand side of a marketplace are shippers, rail, rail shippers, non-rail shippers who are looking to move more freight by rail. So historically, our focus has really been um, on trying to create a platform that gets the supply side to come into the system and then offer their services uh, to the demand side. When marketplaces are one of the hardest business models to execute on. And the reason why is because you have two customers that you're always servicing or always satisfying. So um, initially the, the focus was heavily on the supply side because if you get shippers to come into the store and there's nothing on the shelves, shippers aren't coming back. So that right. was a heavy focus of, our, of the, the sort of initial growth phase of our business. But as we sort of grew the supply side and we got the partners, uh, the, all, all the class we were as partners, as we got 85% of all short lens, as we had you know 60 percent of all the lessors come onto the system we knew that it was now time to shift focus to the shippers now the shippers have always been a focus of the platform because every time we built a new functionality a new feature we built a new module shippers were a critical component to making sure that we were building something that they would use and something they would want so what happened was is about two and a half years ago during covid we started seeing a lot of shippers coming to us asking us for physical logistics support so in 2022 we acquired uh, a logistics company based out of Denver, Colorado, to bring physical operations into the business. So, you know, once you take a 
uh, digital platform and you're creating this, this system which provides connectivity and provides resources at the fingertips of shippers, the natural evolution for that business is to also provide managed services. And this is this is a, a, a pretty standard play, but for most technology companies is to integrate managed service into it. So once we started focusing on shippers, then the really question is, who do you focus on when you're looking at shippers? Can you focus right. on everybody? You really can't boil the ocean. So you had to really sort of narrow your focus. So the two primary subsets of shippers that we focus on are, are really shippers that are moving um, freight already. And, and typically they're moving volumes of call it, you know, anywhere between 50, 100 carloads at minimum okay. uh, per month, uh, all the way up to, you know, 1,000 uh, plus carloads per month. Um, just because they have the volume and sustainability to be able to, to leverage our, our resources most optimally. Right. Uh, and the second subset of, of shippers, um, and, and that's for intermodal or carloads. So we're, we're agnostic to, to the product they're moving. We can move either containers or we can move actual commodities. Uh, and the second subset, uh, and this is really the growth part of our business, are all those shippers that have always thought about converting some of those truck lanes to rail lanes, yeah. but really never dove into it because the rail is complicated. It, it, it's hard. Let, let's, let's face it. There's a lot of elements to moving by rail. And if you're not a rail expert, if you're not someone who's been doing this for years, it's a very daunting task to be able to jump into the rail um, freight market and understand all the different elements. It's not as easy as picking up the phone, calling a 3PL up and moving a container from Chicago to Los Angeles. That's right. a much more vanilla and straightforward move. Now, moving uh, a glycerin, moving a hazmat uh, liquid, moving uh, grain, moving any type of product uh, on the car or commodity side business has a lot more structural sort of complexity to it mm-hmm. because you're talking about different types of equipment, different types of rail cars. You're talking about different types of loading and unloading processes. You're talking yeah. about different types of um, negotiations that you have with the, the class ones, the short lines, um, the transloaders, the warehouses. So there's a lot more uh, sort of uh, complex dynamics that makes it much harder. So that's the second subset we really focus on is how do we help this 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 next generation of shippers who have always thought about moving freight by rail but have never done it because they haven't had the in-house expertise. Um, to, to so effectively, we act as almost an outsourced uh, extension of of logistics teams. Amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. And I like the fact, I mean, you started off with bulk, right? That's what you knew. That's what, that's the world that you came from, which is the coal. And right. so you're helping them uh, specifically, but then you're also helping supply chain professionals, like you said, that have thought about rail, but looked at it, maybe felt a little bit overwhelmed and was like... I might touch that one day, but I'm not entirely sure when. But now you've got the technology to bring them in the fold and help them bring rail into their supply chains, which I really like. Can you share with us a case study? Like, can you paint us a picture of how um, somebody has worked with you? Maybe one of those shippers that thought about rail, but didn't ever move by rail, but is now moving their products by rail. What was the challenge they came to you with? What was the solution that you provided? What was the ROI and benefit that they saw? Absolutely. So um, now the, the the catalyst for a lot of the connections we make with these shippers um, that do not currently move freight by rail is our transit marketplace. So for the viewers that aren't familiar with transit, transit is freight from one mode of transportation to another. So our transit marketplace has over 1,700 facilities in U.S., Canada, and Mexico. So during COVID, um, you had a very heightened sense of how do we de- uh, effectively, how do we de-risk some of these uh, lanes that we have because we know these lanes are getting congested and we know that carriers aren't picking up the freight like they used to. Um, and so uh, as shippers came into the transit marketplace, and um, I'll give you one perfect example. There was a shipper uh, that was moving a dry bulk product. And 
uh, they were 100% rail and they're moving most of their product long haul. So they're most of their products were going 800 to 1,000 miles plus. Um, and it wasn't just to one part of the country, it was going to multiple markets. So uh, they came into the transit marketplace and they put about six requests into the system. Um, and so our customer success team noticed that they put in requests for uh, the Mid-Atlantic, the, the Northwest, the Southeast, the Midwest. Um, and they brought that to the attention of our business development team. And the business development team uh, came to, to, to us, to, to management, said, you know, we really need to think about these shippers that are coming in and putting all these requests in because right. if they're putting in multiple requests in, that really, a, a, that shows that they don't have the connections or the, the knowledge of who are the transfers they're working with. And then as you look at the request and you look at all the different elements, the, 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 the fact that they need trucking in, uh, in certain areas because they may not know little carriers, right. the fact that they're asking for uh, assistance with procuring freight rates, the fact that they're asking for assistance with understanding uh, how they can procure rail cars. Mm-hmm. Th- then we started thinking to ourselves, well, this particularly could be a this could potentially be a real a holistic customer because we're not just helping them make it a connection, but we're actually helping them understand how to convert those truck lanes to rail lanes. So right. this particular customer came in, they were looking at all these different markets because effectively they're looking to diversify how they're moving their transportation to all these different markets to their customers. So they came to us and said, why don't we just outsource this 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 to you guys? Why don't we have you look at all these markets and instead of us having to get into the system and negotiate with multiple transitors. So when you come onto our system, you put a request in, let's just say you put it into the, the Newark, New Jersey market, you're going to connect with all, you know, multiple transitors in that one market. They're going to come okay. back to you, respond to you. Now, if you're a, a shipper that's never moved by rail and you're putting in multiple requests, you know, you're taking four or five transitors in one area and multiplying that times every single market. So right. it could be a bit of a daunting task for some shippers. So they came to us and said, why don't we just outsource all of this to you? Right. Um, we have an idea of what we, you know, what we think the cost savings will be. We know what our truck lanes are. We know what the delivered costs are for all the truck moves. But let's see what rail could do uh, if we were able to piece together some moves. And every, almost every customer wants to test out these moves with yeah. only a few carloads. Every customer that that they had were non-rail served, so by default they had to use transiting. Right. So effectively, what they did is they worked with us to uh, to to, to uh, do some small loads, so about four to five carloads a month for for about six to seven months in each of these different markets, just to see how the transiters, the railroads, uh, what how you know, it would work. what are all the different how it worked exactly right. Yeah. So we help them move into these markets. We help them negotiate, execute these contracts. Um, we have a, so 1,700 verified transitors. So as we work with transitors and shippers, we're keeping track of all the different issues that come up, the nuances, the the, the good and the bad of every mm-hmm. every single partner that we have. So we have a lot of additional insights. So it's not just about connectivity. Let's find you the best price. Right. But you know, when you're thinking about a supply chain professional, you know, price is important to them. But what's more important to that? It's it's guaranteeing that their product gets to where it needs to be on time. Right. Service. And, and that and then service and you can't tell that by a website you can't tell that by having a conversation right. with the business development or sales executive so that's where we step in because we have a lot of experience with these transitors so they came in we executed this strategy for them um, we saved them about 18 to 22 percent uh, on wow. average across each of the lanes um, number one and number two uh, two of the markets that they moved into their local carriers during the pandemic, just effectively said, we can't service you anymore. We're, 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 we're too busy. We're going to have wow. to service our customers who are going to pay us significantly higher than what our contract rates were. And that was something we were seeing a lot. We saw a lot of what we call price price measures, uh, price demersion, where people were coming in, companies were coming in and saying, if you don't increase your rates by 15% this week or by 10% this week, we're not going to service your, your, your loads. 
So wow. um, that was happening to shippers. And then when shippers came to us, they said, no, we need to diversify this. Not only will it give us uh, more flexibility, but it will also give us the leverage against uh, you know some of the folks that aren't servicing us the way they used to. So that was a tremendous uh, win for us because that demonstrated yeah. that not only was our platform a, a huge help, but also our physical logistics services were able to help and save the customer money. And now that customer is moving close to 10, 20, 25-ish carloads uh, uh, into these markets. And wow. rail has become about 30-ish, 35% of their overall sort of transportation portfolio. Wow. Talk about a win for rail. I mean, for it to become 30 to 35% of their supply chain portfolio and the modes that they're using to move their actual cargo um, and the difference that it made. I mean, 18 to 22% is very high. You know, when you think about transportation costs, when you think about the bottom line, and when you think about the even the ocean freight costs and how high they went during the pandemic, 18 to 22% on the inland can make a big, big, big difference. Yeah, that spread. So when you're looking at the premium for truck lanes to rail lanes for your 600 plus long haul moves, that percentage uh, range is typically going to be 15 to 25%. That's the premium that trucking will command over rail. Those are the type of savings that moving freight by rail can capture for a shipper. Amazing. And and, and that is is why we we saw the opportunity you know, five, eight years ago when we were starting the business was rail is a significant part of the supply chain and it only is 40% of all freight that's moving. You know, as a commodities trader, I'm sitting there looking at rail. I'm saying, why aren't there more tools to be able to connect shippers like us? I didn't have a background in rail, but and nor did our team. But, you know, you shouldn't have to have a background in rail. I mean, Mm -hmm. you should be able to pick the phone up and call somebody or or connect to a a digital platform and have that move facilitated for you uh, in the most simplified way. And that that is our mission statement, simplifying uh, freight by rail is is really sort of our our North Star for the business. Yeah. So if I'm sitting in the audience, you know, they might be saying, Sarah Martin, this is all great. Love the numbers. But there's always an onboarding and integration process that comes along with any technology, any platform. And so I'm probably sitting there thinking, this is all great, but how do I get my team on board and how quickly can I get it up and running? And do I have the IT resources to make this happen? So what does integration and onboarding look like uh, working with contracts? So when you just think about rail generally, so before I, I get to commerce, just rail generally, it, it, it's not something that moves on the fly like moving a truck, right? You can pick the phone up, as I mentioned, using the Chicago to LA example, and you can get a 3PL to, to move a load for you, you know, same day. Um, with rail, uh, you, there's there's a lot more, uh, how would you say, there's a lot more steps involved. So if you're a shipper, you've never moved freight by rail before, and you're going to be the the the, the payer freight, you're going to have to get a credit line in place for the cost of railroad. So that takes time. So that could take anywhere between 30 to 60 days. Okay. Um, if you don't have equipment, let's just say you're moving liquids, you're going to have to pick your cars. So right. most shippers, when they start out moving freight by rail, they don't want to enter into two to three year contract for, for equipment because they don't know, are they going to be able to right. facilitate or sustain a move for two to three years? So that also takes time because not only do you have to find the exact cars, but those cars have to match the exact product you're moving and the exact disload or the discharge and the loading process that you have. Mm-hmm. So on a macro level, just there are fundamentally structural things that can't be accelerated time-wise. Mm-hmm. Now, you can accelerate those by working with a third-party provider like us because we have faster access to equipment. We know where the rail cars are. And it's not just about finding rail cars. You also have to find rail cars that are close to where you're moving your freight. Otherwise, you're going to pay a significant amount of fees yeah. just to be able to get those cars closer to your facility mm-hmm. or close to your customer. Yeah. So when move, working with a platform like us, the reason why you save so much time and money 
really is because of the fact that we know where the facilities are, we know their equipment is, and we know who to speak to with the railroads. So onboarding for us really begins with understanding the shipper's needs. What, what exactly are you trying to do? So we'll typically have a strategy session with them, understand what lanes they want to move. And typically shippers will have an idea of which lanes or which markets they want to go into. So once we understand those lanes, once we understand those markets, you know, then what we do is we effectively um, start digging into what that delivered cost should be. Mm. We start taking all the different inputs and start saying, okay, if you were to procure rail cars, most lessors want to lease rail cars for nothing less than a year. So are you comfortable leasing cars, rail cars for less than a year? Right. Um, if, if if not, then we're going to have to find a lessor that will do it for a year, a year and a half. And if so, you know, what what is your strategy if you're only moving freight six months, eight months out of the year? Right. Number, number two, um, if we're managing the freight for you, um, you know, typically we recommend having a TMS system or some sort of visibility platform in place yeah. so you can track and trace these cars. Now, visibility is is or, or data and insights is only as good as the people behind it. Right? True. So as those as those data sources or those uh, data feeds are coming into us, um, what we're also doing is we're providing exception management services. So mm. um, the next thing we're doing is we're effectively training the uh, logistics team on what to look for in the reports that we're pushing to them on a daily basis. Mm. We train them on awesome. when you're thinking about disruptions that happen. You know, yeah. how, how are we going to interface with you when a rail car is lost or when a bill of lading is incorrect? Yeah. Um, so second of all is kind of train them and getting them ramped up to speed on that. And then third of all is, is getting all the different uh, measures and systems in place for them to be able to start facilitating those moves. So do they want us to execute the, the, the actual moves and manage the scheduling? Or do they want us to be uh, really hands off their logistics team on management and they just want us to step in for exception management? So, right. you know, when thinking about the onboarding process, there are a, a, a few steps that are really just sort of ramping up that learning curve for, for shippers to understand exactly what are you going to be, um, you know, sort of getting involved with. What are the things that can come up? And then timing wise, what can you expect? Because at the end of the day, Shippers know they're going to be delays, right? It, it, you know, it, unfortunately, you know, shipping by rail sometimes is imprecise. You know, it'll get you there within, uh, you know, plus or minus a day or two. So if you're okay with those type of, um, you know, uh, plus or minus day or two sort of uncertainty, yeah. which is fine for for a lot of products, they don't for need a lot to be of there. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So if you're fine with that, then you just need to be able to be comfortable with the type of communication that you're going to have with our team and the kind of communications you're going to have with your customers. Because at the end of the day. Surprises are, are not what supply chain professionals want. They want yeah. to be able to be notified as fast as possible. And that's why when thinking about supply chain, all you hear is visibility, visibility, visibility. Right. So that's probably the other component I say is in the major piece to, to onboarding is really setting expectations and really sort of managing right. what it's going to be like. This isn't a truck move where you're going to be able to track the truck and be able to, 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 to know exactly where your car load is at any given time and be able to divert those trucks wherever you need to. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, 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 rail doesn't work that way. So right. that's the, the the primary component of, of of what we're doing is really sort of learning curve, uh, understanding what to expect, and then, they, uh, you know, really sort of managing expectations as far as what that rail move is going to look like over time. And things do get easier. They will get faster, more efficient over time. But I'd say those first two or three months are probably the most critical uh, uh, sort of time frame for the onboarding process. Yeah. And if you think about plus or minus one day, I mean, if we think about ocean freight, how many times is that ETA off by at least, you know, two to five days sometimes? And, you know, you're not even necessarily getting notified all the time. Right. Um, so right. you talk about, I think, you know, during the onboarding process, there's a component of consulting. But then I think you take consulting a little bit further. And that's another piece 
of the business and another reason why people should partner with somebody like Comtrex, because not only do you have the technology, but you also have a variety of different expertise that you can bring to the table um, and consult with your customers. So talk to us about that part of the partnership and what they can expect from your consulting services and working with you. Yeah, and consulting was something I never thought I would get into. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I, that was the last thing. I, would, I, I came into this to create a digital platform that's going to connect, uh, you know, the demand side, supply side, to create information flow, to be able to create as much insight as possible. Uh, really, the the reason why we started consulting was because we saw there were so many gaps, uh, knowledge gaps, particularly um, uh, between shippers and the rail side or the supply side of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the consultants that were out there were filling very specific gaps within this this, this sort Got of uh, void that was in the market. Um, and what I thought was missing at the time was a more holistic sort of advisory service mm-hmm. that really was more practical and execution based versus theoretical and hypothetical based. Got it. Um, we're we're an execution platform at the end of the day. We're here to help shippers move our freight by rail. Um, and when you're coming to us for advisory services, we're not, you know, we can provide you with, uh, you know, what different types of sort of scenario modeling looks like, what pricing look like, what are all the different sensitivity points to these particular moves you're looking at. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, our goal is to help you move more freight by rail. So the consulting uh, uh, sort of uh, component to our business is really, I, I call it more execution and advisory services than it would be your more traditional services. Got now, it. with that being said, okay. Um, if you're a shipper and you've never moved freight by rail, uh, there's a lot of in, in sort of internal uh, in-house uh, sort of uh, sailing that needs to go on before you're going to convince your sort of logistics uh, team or management team that you should sort of move these truck lanes over to rail lanes. Right. When a, a lot of times management teams, logistics teams, commercial teams, uh, they're weary of trying new uh, services mm. because they don't want any disruptions or, you know, effectively, right. they don't want any service interruptions with mm-hmm. what they're moving. So um, that whole internal selling process, uh, that's probably the very first phase of consulting is help me understand exactly what goes into moving freight, how much it will cost, what are all the outlier events that could happen so that I can educate my internal stakeholders on being able to get the sign off. So that's right. really where the consulting services start. And then they historically, they really don't end because once we start helping folks move uh, or or manage freight, there are always these situations that come up where, hey, we've never dealt with this particular scenario. Can you help us think through this? Right. Um, And at the end of the day, we're here to help them execute. So, um, you know, what we're going to do is not just say, here, here's the playbook, here are the X and O's. You know, we're going to give them, you know, uh, as as efficient and effective as an answer as possible. And if they want us to help them execute it, we can do that. Uh, If not... Uh, we're going to give them the the, the 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 tightest, most sort of effective playbook that they can. Perfect. So you're holding their hands so that they can get into rail, learn about rail, have rail save them time and money. I love it. Now, you mentioned uh, sustainability a little bit earlier on in this conversation. What can you tell us? Do you have any stats? I don't know what it looks like, but as far as rail and carbon footprint, what's the correlation there? Well, let's just think about the the fact the set that I mentioned earlier, right? So every one carload, so every car that you see on, on a train removes four mm-hmm. trucks off the road. So yeah. let's just think about the, uh, the the emissions component of that, right? So really, you have one locomotive that's pulling, you know, one or two uh, locomotives that are pulling, you know, anywhere between sixty to one hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen carloads at any Ooh. given time. 
So, you know, these are diesel run locomotives, but the railroad industry is exploring all types of uh, more environmentally friendly ways to be able to power these locomotives. So looking at mm -hmm. hydrogen, they're looking at electrification, they're looking at um, sort of, uh, natural gas. Uh, so, you know, right now today, yes, it is, you know, your traditional fossil fuel that's driving these, uh, these locomotives, but down the road, rail will become more effective over time. So that's number one. Number two, think about the uh, amount of trucks that it takes off the road and what the congestion and infrastructure that does uh, mm -hmm. for the overall sort of roads. And, 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 and effectively, you're freeing up a lot of capacity uh, on the highways because of that. So that's not a very obvious point. But not only are you saving on the emissions that are coming directly out of the, the, you know, the, the, the tailpipes of trucks or, or the locomotives, but you're also sort of reducing the amount of congestion that are on a highway road. So mm -hmm. that's number two. Um, and, and number three, you know, when you're thinking about rail, just just overall, um, you know, we're talking long haul moves that, uh, you know, historically are going through very mountainous, uh, isolated areas. Um, so you're taking less roads or less cars off the road in your metropolitan cities or your major population hubs, because most of this freight are moving in uh, highly sort of uh, isolated, uh, non-populated areas. So right. now you're also sort of creating less congestion in those highly populated metropolitan areas. So for all those who live in Los Angeles, Atlanta, Houston that are sitting on the road saying, wow, this is terrible traffic. Uh, as more folks are converting more truck lanes to rail lanes, uh, an, a, another sort of unobvious byproduct is we also are helping to, 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 yeah. to create less congestion. On well, the Toronto too. Toronto has lots of congestion. <laughs> but if you think about uh, what you just said, you know, 60 between 60 and 115. And you said each of those takes four trucks off the road. I mean, that's, right. that's I'm not very good at math, but I think that's like 300 and something. Yeah, that's right. right. I, mean, I call it 400 on a unit train, which is 100 cars. Yeah, you're taking about 400. You know. Yeah. Reduction. I mean, that is huge. Yeah. All right. Well, I can't believe we're at the end of this conversation. But finally, what is in store for the future of contracts? I mean, from this conversation, um, it feels like you really thought of everything. So what is next for contracts? Uh, next is continuing to look at all those different sort of components of the that, that rail uh, move uh, that we don't currently sort of manage. So think about all those different visibility gaps that are out there, and uh, whether that be at the transit site, um, whether that be uh, you know throughout that transit move, whether it be um, you know uh, thinking about what are more insights that can be gained through understanding what is happening on the demand side of the leasing market, on the demand side of the transit mm -hmm. market, on the demand side of the storage market. We collect all those uh, all those data points. So we're trying to take all those insights and combine that with external insights, um, such as weather, such as traffic, such as population growth, and then layer AI on top of that, because what we ultimately want to do is we want to create a co-pilot for our shippers. Not only are we uh, you know, effectively a co-pilot through the extension of our physical logistics team, but technology at the end of the day should drive everything. Right. You, you shouldn't have to pick the phone up or communicate over, uh, you know, um, instant messenger or email with, with somebody. You, you should be able to, with technology nowadays, you should be able to have a chatbot or some sort of automated technology that can help you make decisions on the fly faster and more effectively. So right now, a big uh, effort of ours, a big issue of ours is looking at the entire sort of railroad space and thinking about where are all those gaps that need to be filled in order to create a better customer experience, in order to be able to create a, a more optimal uh, experience for shippers to move freight by rail. But, you know, that's that's probably the the major thing sort of on the forefront of what we're working on. And the, the second piece of that is, 
is is really sort of continuing to build upon our data, our insights. We have uh, newsletters that go out three times a week to over 10,000 supply chain professionals. Uh, education is a major component to our platform. So we have these right. resources uh, such as our 101s or these asset experts where we're going to the industry and asking them, uh, all you know, what can we do to help sort of prepare you better to, to, to move more freight by rail? So education and content. Um, is another important component to us. And we want to only expand upon that. And so we're trying to find best in class partners that can help us, you know, really educate that next generation of rail shippers on how to move more freight by rail. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have an educated sort of population of, of, of supply chain professionals on what rail is and how it could benefit them, they're not going to move more freight by rail because people only do things that they understand they're comfortable with. That is so true. And I love the fact that you are, you have the education component, right? And you're really looking at the next generation of supply chain professionals to really utilize what rail really has to offer. So the North American Rail Network is responsible for moving an increasing amount of freight every year. Despite challenges, railroads are constantly adapting to the dynamic supply chain needs of shippers by reinvesting into their infrastructure and by working with new technology partners just like Comtrex. Comtrex is on a mission to simplify the movement of freight by rail, helping shippers to optimize their supply chains and transportation programs and ultimately ship freight more efficiently, reliably, and cost-effectively. If you want to find out more, you can check them out at Comtrex, that's C-O-M-M-T-R-E-X.com. And a massive thanks to Martin for joining me today and to the team at Comtrex for making this episode happen. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really enjoyed it. Did you know that the average cost of losing an hourly supply chain worker has reached $19,607? And that recent research shows that 77% of hourly supply chain workers are considering a job change in the next three months. This could have a huge impact on your productivity, bottom line, and culture. Workstep is helping supply chain companies to better engage their distributed hourly workforce at scale. Understand the true reasons behind their workforce turnover and take actions to make positive changes and reduce attrition. Workstep has successfully helped many companies reduce their frontline worker turnover by up to 36%. Visit workstep.com to learn more. So did you have a guess at today's big question? At the top of the show, I asked you, in a typical year, how many tons of freight are moved by U.S. railroads? Well, around 1.6 billion tons is moved across nearly 140,000 miles of track. Huge! But was that more or less than you thought? I think for me, it was way more. If you'd like to hear more from us, we have plenty more content for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com. And check out the latest. If you are looking for a solution to a supply chain challenge, we have most likely had the solution on our show. So head over to the website, put in your keyword in the search bar, and it will all come up for you. And then you can listen to the episodes and find out whether they're a good fit for you and if you're a good fit for them. And remember to come back next week. I'm going to be joined by Holly Pierce of CND Technologies. And she's going to be talking all about her journey in supply chain. And let me tell you, you do not want to miss this one because she used to do logistics for Disney on Ice, for the circus. We get 
down into the nitty gritty of moving people and animals into and out of countries. And it's absolutely fascinating. And how she really looks at supply chain, how she looks at her teams and her excitement around AI for the industry. So make sure that you tune in for what promises to be an an amazing episode. So we'll see you then. And if you like our show, you can support our show in a few ways. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We're also over on TikTok. Subscribe to our newsletter at letstalksupplychain.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Let's Talk Supply Chain. You can also find some really cool merch in our shop at Let's Talk Supply Chain. Uh, com. Just click the shop button. And we have a brand new membership group. Now we are bringing the community together. Let me tell you, and you are not going to want to miss out on this. We have almost launched, or we've launched at least the Secret Society of Supply Chain, we are just about to launch the groups that we have within there. And they are for everybody in supply chain. So if you head over to letstalksupplychain.com, just check out the link uh, for the Secret Society of Supply Chain, take the quiz, join the wait list, and we will let you know once we are launched. But let me tell you, we've got exclusive content from Best Buy, Macy's, Logitech, and so many more big names. You're going to have access to courses that you would never be able to get access to otherwise. We've got monthly meetup groups for marketing professionals, women in supply chain, and so much more. So do not miss out. We only have limited spots available. And remember, if you'd like to be featured on the show, go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.